If you've got your book uh, with you, then you're, you can choose to either go to 1 Corinthians 3 right now or just look at it in your book. If you do not have your book or you are not given one or whatever, uh, see Ray, he'll get you one uh, if you want one. Uh, but uh, uh, with that being said, we will plant a little bit for in 1 Corinthians 3, 3 here in a little bit. A um, couple of quick announcements. Um, we need to continue to pray for Gary Neese uh, and Lori, um, where, where, you know, maybe last week things were starting to look up. Uh, things aren't starting to look up. Uh, they're trying to get them off of the, uh, the ventilator, and they're having issues doing so. Uh, so they're starting to talk about a, a, a DNR, which is a do not resuscitate. Uh, so, man... Uh, just keep that all in your prayers, please. Um, I know uh, Lori's probably having a tough time uh, dealing with all that. Uh, I, 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 you know, it, if you guys can, man, just make sure you reach out to her if you haven't already. Uh, pray for her. Do whatever we can. If we can bring the me- bring her meals, whatever we can do to help, uh, let's uh, let's try to be uh, 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 good about that. Um, I, I can't imagine what she's going through. I am thankful that this week she was able to actually finally go up and see him. Uh, she hasn't been able to see him for like three weeks, I think. So um, the fact that she was able to go up and see him and she's been able to is, a, is obviously a, a, a positive thing uh, there. Uh, but anyways, we need to keep that uh, obviously uh, in our prayers. Uh, next week, uh, I believe uh, Brother Robert's going to be preaching. Yeah. All right, no, no, you don't want to, okay, he, he decided he didn't want to at that moment, now he's, so, he, so you don't have to listen to me next week, y'all can take a break and say, all right, and then we'll probably have the church packed next week, that's good, um, but uh, we have Brother Robert's going to preach for us there, uh, and then, um, I feel like there's one more thing I wanted to say, no, no, Claude, anything, no, okay, I guess that's it, all right. Um, so if you uh, have a uh, notebook, uh, we are on page uh, 38, yes? Unlocking the keys, I'm pretty sure is where we, uh, we left off. Um, and I want to apologize, honestly, because last week I said we were going to get to page uh, 42. And, and quite honestly, I don't know why I said that, because it was never even my intention to get to page 42. I have it written right in stop here. And I don't know why I said that. So uh, I guess the good thing is, is we actually almost made it where I wanted to get last week. So no, nobody cares. Okay. All right. Anyways, uh, we have obviously been talking about the uh, book of Ephesians. And, uh, you know, as you've heard me say before, uh, as I'm sure you'll hear me say plenty of times uh, again, uh, this is a pivotal uh, book. It's a very important book to make sure that we understand. It's a, it, 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 another reason why it's important is because if we don't place Ephesians properly and we don't divide it properly, uh, we can run into some trouble, a lot of trouble. Um, it is a book that if understood properly, if uh, we just let the book say what it says, and obviously we know we preach that around here a lot. You know, listen, we can't all agree on what the Bible means because everybody's going to come do it and get their own interpretations out of it. And all of the Bible says 
prophecy of the scriptures for no private interpretation, but you know, we, we, we won't worry about that, I guess. Uh, but, but, but there is one thing we can do, right? We can all agree on what it says. What does it say? And if that's what it says, then who are you, who is me, I don't know if I said that right, that was improper English. Uh, who, who, who is anybody to state differently? I mean, if that's what it says, that's what it says. And if we want to start twisting it to fit our beliefs, well, who becomes the authority now? And listen, I, I'm not here to down anybody's beliefs. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. I'm not, that, that's not my position. What I am here to do is teach the Bible. That's what me and Robert are here to do, is to teach you what the Bible says. What you want to believe after that is up to you. And now I say all that to say, when you come to Ephesians, and why I say this is such a pivotal book, is because if you just listen to what Paul's saying, there is plenty of doctrinal things that are going on in the church today that starts to, you start to have to scratch your head and go, is that right? For instance, chapter 1, uh, there's two major doctrinal things going on in chapter 1 that if you just get chapter 1 right and actually listen to what he's actually saying, you will realize that Calvinism and the bil your ability to lose your salvation starts to, you're, st you're on rocky ground now, okay? What, what is it that Calvinism is teaching and what is it that are people saying that, that say you can lose your salvation, Okay, the doctrine of what we might call eternal security. Once saved, always saved, or can you get saved and lose your salvation? You understand Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to get those right. Okay, uh, uh, right? <laughs> we did that this week, right? We really talked a lot about that. Um, okay, that's chapter 1. Uh, uh, when you get into chapter number 2, uh, man, uh, probably the biggest thing that happens in chapters two is you start to realize that replacement theology has got a problem. And when we say replacement theology, what we're saying is, did the church replace Israel? Okay. Now, if you're sitting here and you're going, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. I really don't even care what you're talking about. Let's just preach some Bible here. Listen, these are very, very important doctrines in the Bible. If you get these wrong, you're going to come to your Bible wrong. And if you start to wrongly divide your Bible, by Timothy's, uh, well, Paul's the one that wrote it to Timothy, by Paul's own, own mouth, he says, if you wrongly divide, you are ashamed. And there's going to be a problem. So you want to make sure you get right divisions, because wrong divisions is a problem. By the way, that's what chapter 3 is all about. Chapter 3, Paul is explaining and helping us get into the right division of what's going on in, as Paul says, in this dispensation. He called it the dispensation of grace. I didn't. I'm just telling you what he said. Okay? That is important because if you apply something to a wrong dispensation, doctrinally, that's going to be a problem. And it's going to mess up your understanding. And then, of course, you get to uh, prop, uh, uh, chapter 4. Uh, listen, I, all I can say is you can believe me if you want. You don't have to believe me. You can do what you want, what I'm about to say. Okay? 
I'm just telling you, man, if you want to sit down with me and when you want to go over it with me, I will show you the importance of chapter 4 in understanding what the New Testament church is supposed to look like and how you don't go to Acts 2 to get that. If you go to Acts 2 to try to understand the New Testament church, you're going to get in trouble. Wrong people, wrong division. Ephesians chapter 4 is where you want to go if you want to understand what the church is supposed to look like. Okay, the order of the church, what, what, you know, where the, who are the leaders in the church, how things are set in place in the church. Ephesians 4 is, is a very important place to go to uh, for that information. The other thing that is talked about in Ephesians 4 that might be important is what is the actual use of spiritual gifts in the church? I wonder if that's a big deal today. I don't know. Uh, you know, Pentecostal slash charismatic churches, hey, uh, either they're right or they're not. Either we're right or we're not. Okay, somebody's got this thing of healing and tongues and all that right, and somebody doesn't. And we need to make sure we understand what and who is proper, because here's the thing that scares me. Okay, and we don't, we, I don't think we take these things as serious as if we are Christians, and we are going to claim the Bible is our authority, and I hope you do. Because if you don't, what is your authority? Whether you, whether you want to agree or not, you know who is the authority? If the Bible's not your authority, you know who's the authority? You. And if you become the authority over things, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> you're, you're, you're on shaky ground. Whether, I got it. I'm good. No, you're not. The Lord knows my heart. Yes, he does. And it's desperately wicked who can know it. Okay, you are going to bend things towards the desires of your flesh. That is what you will do without the guidance of the Spirit and His Word. So if His Word is not your authority, by default, you become the authority. And I'm just telling you, that is dangerous ground to live in. I've been there. I've lived there. I can attest to it uh, very much so. Uh, so again, uh, chapter 4 a uh, very pivotal chapter. Then, of course, chapter 5, uh, listen, Paul then starts to swing it to, hey, do you want to know how to walk in the Spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh? And he explains the importance of walking in the light and, and, and not walking in darkness. And then he gets into uh, another, he gets into two major mysteries in this book. And by the way, if you don't know what we're talking about right there, uh, myself, uh, Robert, and Chris, Where's Chris? Oh, he's in the back now. You moved on me, man. Don't do that. You're scaring me, man. You watch in the front. You think someone's going to come in and shoot me? <laughs> listen, I guess somebody could. I mean, that's sad that we live in that day. But uh, listen, it, it, it's very important. If you go to first, you don't need to, but if you go to First Corinthians chapter number four, one and two, we did a, how, how many messages do we do? Maybe seven when we did that podcast, we did like seven podcast messages on the importance of understanding 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. And do you understand what it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2? I mean, I don't understand why people don't pick up on this stuff and go, I mean, this is pretty big. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards over the mysteries of God. Moreover, Paul says, it is required. Y'all got that word, right? That's a good English word. I mean, we all know what required means, right? It's, requ it's not, you know, get around to it. 
understand the mysteries of God. Now, it's required, required of stewards to uh, be found faithful in the mysteries of God. And, and what I'm going to tell you is the reason why that is, is because if you understand those seven mysteries, you will understand the New Testament church and what's going on. Because that's what those seven mysteries will, will un, uh, 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 unveil for, un reveal for you. Okay, they'll reveal what the church is. Two of those mysteries are found in the book of Ephesians. One of them is the dispensation of grace. Uh, it's, the, it's the revealing of the church. And that's a big deal, I think. <laughs> I hope you do too. And, and then the other one, of course, is really helping us understand and, and we've kind of hammered this home as much as I think we could, uh, in, 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 especially in the last year or so. Uh, uh, listen, God teaches through similitudes, pictures. If you understand that, then you'll understand right doctrine and wrong doctrine. The unfortunate reality is most people do not, does not, do not understand that. Okay? Ephesians 5, in the latter half of the chapter... It's giving us a mystery, a very big mystery, of how the church is supposed to function. And what he does is he uses something that, that God established way back in the Garden of Eden. Husband and wife represents Christ and the church. You want to understand how Christ and the church functions? Understand how a husband and wife is supposed to function. And, and no disrespect to anybody in here, okay? But in my experience, most people do not understand. Most good Christians do not understand what a biblical marriage is really supposed to look like. And I listen, till about five years ago <laughs> with, with Mark Trotter, I don't know that I understood what a biblical marriage... Once you understand what a biblical marriage is actually supposed to look like and the way God is... You can... Here's the crazy part. You can have a great marriage by the standards of the world, but yet be failing at marriage as far as God's concerned. And that's scary. That's scary. Maybe from a world perspective, you got a great marriage, man. Beautiful, great. But when God's looking down on it going, but that's not what I designed, and that's not how I designed it. Do you think that's kind of important? I, I think it is. I hope you do. We should. Paul spends half a chapter talking about it in the great book of Ephesians. And then, of course, chapter 6, he talks about the importance of what our actual protection is, the whole armor of God. And do note, those, there are seven pieces, of course there would be, and, and, and those seven pieces, every single one of them points you back to a very particular thing. Anybody know what that is? The Word of God. The Word of God. Th there's your protection. That is why it needs to be our authority. All right, with all that being said, what we did last week is we started talking about the, uh, and, and well, I don't want to say we started talking last week. We've been talking about, might be the better way to, to phrase this, the, the, uh, the, the three uh, blessings of the Spirit, okay? Uh, that's what brought us to verse 12 and verse 13 
of Ephesians chapter number one. So we've already talked about the three blessings of the Father. We've always, uh, that would be verse four through six. We already talked about the three blessings of the Son. That would be verses seven through nine. Then he talks about another dispensation that's kind of important, the dispensation of um, the fullness of times. And then he moves into the three blessings of the Spirit. And the three blessings of the Spirit, uh, as, as you see there on, on the board, uh, written not by me, uh, as you can tell. Uh, that would be, yeah, I don't have that neat of a handwriting. Um, it, but anyways, um, so from now on, I think, Cheyenne, you can write, you just come show up early and we'll let you write. Because uh, it's probably all spelled right, too, Robert, you know. That's, that's probably a good thing too, right? Okay, uh, first is, listen, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, he is the revealer of truth to us, okay? So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the important piece that we need to understand is that you need to put your faith and trust in the Word of God. What is it that we are believing in for salvation? You know, Romans 1.16, Paul says this, right? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. I mean, that, sounds, that sounds kind of important. James says it's the engrafted word that saves, saves your soul. Well, that sounds kind of important. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, when he actually lays out what the actual true gospel of Jesus Christ really is, when he lays it out there, he says, according to and he says you can believe in, huh? Well, listen, man, that's kind of important information right there. Paul, in Galatians chapter 1, starts going, I hope you aren't buying into another gospel. What's he, another gospel, what? You can preach, you can believe, and you can put your faith and trust in a gospel that is not biblical. And he said, how can that be? As long as I trust Jesus, I'm good. Are you? Which Jesus are you trusting in? Because in that same passage, he talks about, well, no, that's 1 Corinthians right, 12, uh, 11, where he says, you, you, if you believe in another Jesus, another Jesus, there's only one. There's counterfeits. You better wake up to that. We live in a world where the great counterfeiter, the devil, that it, do you think the devil is hanging out in the crack house? Is that where you think he is this morning? Why has he got to hang out there? Unfortunately, they're probably heading down the wrong path already. And they can do that, you can do that pretty much good on your own. Do you think he's hanging out in the bar? Why would he have to hang out there? People are already submitting to their flesh. Where do you think the devil needs to hang out? Right up in a place like this. The church, that's where he needs to hang out. And we better open our eyes to that. It is an important uh, 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 point of understanding uh, where we are in biblical salvation. And the reason why I'm hammering that home is because when you get to Ephesians chapter um, 1, verse 12, I'm not there, but I'm pretty sure that's when he says, after ye first trusted, am I right? Or am I wrong? No, nope, it's 13. In whom ye also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that ye believed. So, 
you need to believe in something, what do you need to believe in? The gospel of your salvation, which comes from where? The word of God. <laughs> yep. See how that all flows? Okay. And, and it's when that happens, you receive the Holy Ghost. And when you receive that Holy Ghost, what you get from that Holy Ghost is redemption and you're sealed by him. There's that eternal security aspect to it. Did you do anything to get saved? And if you don't believe the answer is no, Paul's going to make sure you understand what the answer to that question is in the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, which probably most Christians, if you've been in church at all, could probably quote at least somewhat. For by grace, you are saved through faith. And that not of your, it is a gift, not of, lest any man should boast. The problem is most Christians, most, of, most times when I hear a preacher preach that, they stop right there. The very next verse explains the whole point of why you got saved. So why would you stop at verse 9? See, we were created for good works. We are his workmanship. Okay, the, you didn't just get saved to get out of hell. That's not the point and purpose of salvation at all. And you need to understand, and we're going to talk about this a little this morning, so I suppose I can stop right there before I uh, uh, go there because I'm already going to talk about it. All right, so last week we talked about uh, the, the promise that Christ uh, said that when he leaves, which crucifixion, ascension, he would send the Holy Ghost. He would send the Comforter, uh, John 14, John 16, okay? And I think I got some verses there for you. It, 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 it's a promise that he, 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 he gave. And so here's where we go to the unlocking the keys. Uh, the fulfilling of the promise of the Holy Ghost by the Son is a different promise made to different people. Y'all got that, because you need to get that. The fulfilling of the promise of the Holy Ghost to the church is different than the promise that is promised to Israel at the end of the tribulation. That's a different promise. Y'all got that? You may be looking at me like, well, who cares? Well, no, you need to care, because this is going to solve the whole spiritual gift problem. Okay, and help us really understand what spiritual gifts are and who, who they were meant for and why. If you don't get that, you're going to miss that. It's going to go flying uh, over the head, and we don't want to do that. Uh, listen, new creatures in Christ are made up both of Jew and Gentile. And we're going to talk about that more in depth in the next chapter. Lord willing, we will get there one day. Uh, the fulfilling of the promise of the Holy Spirit by the Father was to the nation of Israel. Now, let me read that again. The fulfilling of the promise of the Holy Spirit by the Father was to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And it would have been realized if they had not rejected the Holy Ghost. This does not negate the promise. Rather, it puts it on hold. We're living in the hold. It's called the dispensation of grace. Now, if 
if that's foreign to you or you're going, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Listen, I promise you that is very important to understand and hang with us, hang around here for a little while and you'll get it and you will understand it and you'll be able to put it in its proper uh, uh, understanding. So, so get this now, okay? In Acts chapter 2, Paul, uh, no, not Paul, Peter, uh, he's still living in the, there's still a transition taking place, okay? The Jew had not rejected the full trinity yet. And so the promise was still being offered even after the death of Christ. They rejected the Father because they rejected that the person that the Father sent to be the messenger. Who, is the, who was it that the Father sent to be the messenger for the coming of the Lord? John the Baptist. What did they do to him? They killed him. Okay. Then they rejected the Son. What did they do to the Son? They crucified him. Okay. But Jesus says something very interesting. He says, if you reject me, you still can be perfect, forgiven. But if you reject the Holy Ghost, you will not be forgiven in this. And you look at that and you go, what? That doesn't make any sense. You've got to accept Jesus. I agree. You do have to. You see, but, but the ultimate salvation of a man comes in the belief in Jesus' death and burial on the cross. No, no questions asked. But the ultimate salvation of a man is not that you believed that. The ultimate uh, uh, salvation in a man is that you believed that and you received it and you received something. Because if you didn't receive the something, it don't matter what you believe in, you're not saved. You need to receive the Holy Ghost. Hence the reason why Jesus says, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he starts explaining the purpose of the Holy Ghost moving up inside of you. So, you. so the point that I'm trying to say is I'm not minimizing the belief in Jesus at all. That is absolutely critical. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection is critical. What I am saying, though, is by Paul's own admission in 1 Corinthians 15, just believing that does not save a man. Paul's very clear about that. Because you can believe that in vain. No, it's the receiving of something. And uh, I do believe that that receiving uh, has everything to do with Galatians chapter 2.20 is a good place to go. Romans chapter 6 would be a good place to go to really start to understand how this all kind of brings itself together. I hope I'm not confusing you with that. It's not my intent to, uh, but I, I do think that's important. I do think it's very important that we grab onto that. Uh, if you do not have the Holy Ghost, where, where, was it Romans 6 or 8 where he says, you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. 8? If you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. I don't care what you believe in, if you don't have the Spirit, you are none of His. Paul flat out says it. That's it. That's what you need. You need the Holy Spirit. And what happened was, the Jew hadn't rejected the Holy Ghost yet. Okay, it wasn't until Acts chapter 7 when uh, uh, Philip was, no, not Philip, Stephen was, I'm off today, gosh, uh, uh, when Stephen was filled with the Holy Ghost in front of those, that Jewish council, that they rejected the Holy Ghost. And then that was the end of the dispensation. That was it. God said, okay, I'm done with the Jew for right now. 
Paul's very clear in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that he's not done with the Jew. He's just done with the Jew right now. He puts them on a shelf. Their final ending is going to take place during the seven-year tribulation, which is still yet to come, Daniel's 70th week, okay? But for right now, Jews and Gentiles share in on the same promises. But note, the promises given to the church are different than the promises given to the nation of Israel. And there's where most churches get it messed up, and there's where the biggest problems in doctrine start to happen. If you don't understand that, it's, it's, it's open game now. You're stealing promises that were given to the Jew, and you're making it your own. Twice, twice in Revelation 2 and 3, when Jesus wrote seven letters of churches, twice he says, those that say that the Jews are not, <laughs> that's a problem. It's a big problem. It's the synagogue of Satan. What? No. Come on. Oh, I'm just telling you what Jesus said, man. You do what you want with that information. This is important information. What happens in Acts chapter 2 is, is Peter still living, still living in the potential possibility of the coming of the messianic kingdom. That's where he says, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. The sun shall be turned into uh, darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the day of the Lord shall be saved. And he's quoting the passage in Joel. And, and everyone, you know, jumps there, especially the charismatics and the, and the, uh, the uh, 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 Pentecostals. Wow, I'm, I'm really not on today. Everybody jumps there and says, oh, see, see, he poured out his spirit on everybody. We all speak. We all have all the gift. Time out. Let me ask you a question. On that day, did the sun turn dark? Did the moon turn blood red? Is that what happened? No. It would have happened if their response in Acts 2.38 was correct as a nation. But it wasn't. And so it put it on hold. And you say, I don't believe you. Well, okay. Let me help you with something here, just to make sure you understand how to rightly divide your Bible. Was Revelation written after what happened in Acts chapter 2? Anybody? Yeah. I mean, 70 years later, 60 years later, right? It wasn't written until 95 AD. So let me show you what happens in Revelation 6.12, which is the tribulation period. It says, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal... And lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. It's still a future event. It hasn't happened yet. Why? Why? Because the tribulation got put on hold. Do you understand that? Because that's critical to understand what's, what, what the working of the Holy Ghost is in the church today. We need to make sure we understand what his purpose is in the church so that we can understand our purpose. Because if we don't understand his purpose in us, he's in us, aren't we the body of Christ? Aren't we the temple of the Holy Ghost? Well, if we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, if we are the body of Christ, we better make sure we understand what the working of the Spirit in us is. No? Anybody else think that that might be important? Listen. The day of the Lord is a culmination of the second coming of Christ that brings about the battle of Armageddon. It has not happened yet. All through the Old Testament, I could bring you to all kinds of places that we could talk about 
that what's going to happen on the day of the Lord, the second com- right before the second coming of Christ, what's going to happen is the sun is going to turn into darkness and the moon is going to turn blood red. It did not happen in Acts chapter 2. That would have been the second coming. Why? If the Jews would have recognized they crucified their Messiah, they would have called on him, he would have came back, and he would have sat on that throne. Did that happen? No. The day of the Lord did not take place on that day. It's still yet to come. And I promise you, by the authority of God's word, it's going to happen. One day those clouds are going to peel back. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back, not on, a, not on a donkey, on a white horse. And the armies of heaven are going to follow right after him. And he's going to return, and he's going to make all things right. And he's going to sit on that throne of Israel, and he is going to be the king over the Jew. Absolutely, 100%. It was promised in the Old Testament. How about this word? A plethora of times. Who called what movie was in? Three amigos. There we go. All right. All right. So here's the thing, okay? He, the Holy Ghost sets a seal on us. And I want you to understand the importance of a seal, <laughs> okay? It, it, you didn't set the seal on yourself. The Holy Ghost sets the seal on you, okay? Uh, and obviously, that is important. Paul says here in Galatians 4, 6 through 9, and he says, and because ye are sons, now, 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 now I want you to understand something, okay? Here's another major problem in the church today, right? How many times have you heard this? And, and no disrespect if you believe this or whatnot, just, just hear me out. That's all I'm asking, okay? But how many times have you heard, oh, we're all, we're all made in the image of God? <laughs> are we? Are, are you sure about that? We're all sons of God. We're all children of God. Really? Well, I've got a question. Just to ponder, just think about it for a second. If we're all sons of God, then how come he has to adopt us into his family? I mean, we can start going into that right now. We can have a field day talking about that. How how come? Why, Why does he have to adopt us into his family if we're already children of God? If we're all children, the whole world is just, we're all children of God. No, we're not. We are the children of the devil. And you better make sure you understand that. Okay? We're all made in his image. No, we are not. Do you understand what an image and likeness is? Do you think that in your unsaved, uh, unsaved uh, uh, place that you are in his image? And in, do you know who is the image of God? Jesus was. And you want to know what happens when you get saved? Romans 8, if you don't believe me. What happens? He's trying to transform you back into his image. If I'm already in his image, how come he's trying to transform me back into it? Someone please help me with that. I need to understand that. It's the truth, man. It's the biblical truth. We need to understand this. Genesis 5.3 makes it very clear whose image we are in. We are in the image of likeness of Adam. And Adam is a fallen creature. Adam is... And brings forth death. Okay? That's why the second Adam had to come, 1 Corinthians 15, where the gospel is. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, 
came back and made everything right. And as many as received him, he gave the power to become sons of God. You weren't, our, you weren't sons of God prior to that. If he were, then you better pull John 1.12 out of your Bible. Don't belong there anymore. While you're at it, you better pull Galatians chapter number four out of your Bible. Because watch, look what he says. And because you are sons, and he's talking to the church of Galatia, these people are believers. And he says, now, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of a son into your hearts. Did he send forth his spirit into your hearts prior to being saved? That's because you weren't sons. Is everybody with me on that? It may sound trivial. It may, you may be sitting there going, and this may be the first time you ever even heard that. And you may be going, this dude's whacked out of his mind. He's crazy. Listen, I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, if the Bible's the authority, that's what it says. So if you want to believe in what you were told and what you believed your whole life, hey, feel free. Do what you got to do, man. I'm not here to, to mess up your day. But I'm just here to try to tell you. But biblically speaking, that's wrong. So let's get it right. Let's get it right. Because listen, when you become a son of God, then God sends forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Now we can cry, Abba, Father. Could you cry, Abba, Father, prior to that? You could, but you want to know what the Bible says about that? He doesn't hear your prayers. And we sit there and go, Dude, come on, man. Why You're just messing my whole system up right now. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. <laughs> do what you got to do, man. Okay? Listen, this is, good, this, this is good stuff. It's right stuff. We want to be right about this. He says, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Not through you or your church or the famous pastor. No. You're an heir through Christ. And how many times in Ephesians, what did I kept telling you? All the blessings, everything. What's the important piece of all of it? That what? You're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you don't get any of these. You aren't the beloved. Jesus is. You weren't predestined. Jesus was. <laughs> Do you understand? I mean, we're starting to hit some stuff now. This is why this is so important to understand. Okay, he says, how about then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, Robert, I, I just feel like we might need to plant here, but I can't. Do, do y'all see what that says right there? But now, after you have known God, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rather, what does that say? You're known by God. Wait a minute. Doesn't God, I'm, I'm his son. He, all, he obviously knows me. No, in your lost state, he does not know you. He does not know you in your lost state. Does he know of you? Of course he does. He's God. What I'm saying is you're not his. You're not his. Okay? And that's why in Matthew chapter 7, it says, Okay, and I understand he's writing to the Jew during the, 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 the tribulation uh, or, or, you know, from a tribulation standpoint, but clearly we can take what he's saying and transfer it over to things Paul said. That's why he said, if it, it, many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works? 
hey, Lord, we've done. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, I never knew you. I don't know about you, but if you don't stop and take pause at that statement, you're not thinking right. There are people who are going to be doing things for the Lord. They're going to be calling on the Lord. They're all those great things. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. You may have known me, but I didn't know you. Well, if that's possible, if that's even possible, which it is in the Bible, I think it's important that we understand, well, what determines whether he knows me, whether, whether you've known God or that God knows you? I think that might be important to understand. Hence the reason why we're looking at the book of Ephesians, because we can understand it in this book. He says, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again uh, to be in bondage. It is not that you know him. Now listen, I might have worded that a little, I knew what I was saying when I worded that, when I wrote that, so let me just clarify just to make sure nobody catches it the wrong way. It's not that you know him. Well, it is. It's not just that you know him, is what I probably should have said. It's not just that you know him. It's that he knows you. How many times have I used the example of how I could tell you every single Emmett Smith stat known to man? To my fault, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. So sorry. I know it. I get it. We stink. I got it. I understand. But I love the Dallas Cowboys. I love Emmett Smith. And I absolutely love the fact that he went to Florida. That was a beautiful thing for me. Great times. Even when I was living in Rochester, New York, big, but I could tell you everything about Emma Smith. I knew all his stats. I could tell you, I knew all his high school stats. I knew all his college stats. I knew all his pro stats. But I promise you right now, I knew everything about bro. But I'm telling you right now, if I walked down the street and Emma Smith walked by me and I said, Emmett, he'd look at me like, who the heck are you? See, Emmett didn't know me. Do you see the point that I'm trying to make? There is a key difference here. And just because you may know stuff about and have knowledge about stuff, knowledge does what, the Bible tells us? Puffs up. There's something more than just having knowledge of something. Hey, you better have turned that knowledge into your walk. Because if you haven't turned that knowledge into your walk, there could be, I'm not saying there is, I'm not the judge of salvation, I'm just telling you there could be a problem. There could be a problem. Listen, 2 Timothy, Paul says this. He says, nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. I don't know about anybody else, but I want to stand on the foundation of God. Huh? Who wants to stand on shifting sand? No? And listen, the foundation of God stands, stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. And everybody that can honestly stand up and say, the Lord knows me, should stand up right now and be cheering with all you have in you, amen. amen. The Lord knows who's his, man. And if you're his, ain't nothing going to pluck you from his hands. Nothing's going to take you from his hands. Now, start, now, 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 can I encourage you? Start living like you're his. Start living like you're his, man, if you haven't already. 
Second Corinthians, uh, uh, Paul says this, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, under the glory of God by us. Now he that established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And, and I would say this, your salvation is based on nothing you could have done. Uh, John 14, Paul, uh, John, Jesus talks about how he's going to send that comforter. Uh, and it's possible for us to, it is possible, and this is important to understand, it is possible for us to grieve the Spirit, thereby, and I would underline that, where it says that in the book, it's not possible to grieve the Spirit and lose your salvation. It is possible to grieve the Spirit and lose the blessing of the ministry. Where, in other words, you are a vessel that God will not use. He just won't use you. All right. I mean, you're mine. But you obviously want to live this life for you. So go ahead. Keep living this life for you. And you know what most people do? I'm saved. I'm good. My ticket's punched. Do you, do you not think there's a consequence for that? Do you not think there's a consequence for living your life like that? Well, I'm not going to hell. And, and you know what? If that's really what it's all about, you just proved to yourself that it's, it's all about you. Do you understand what you just did? You just proved it's all about you. Well, I'm, I'm not going to hell. See, it was all about you not going to hell. That's what it was all about. See, what Ephesians is teaching us when it's all said and done, when, when, when it comes down and you just want to wrap it up to something real simple, what Ephesians is teaching us is that the purpose of the church, the purpose of his body, the purpose of what, he's, what this is all about is all about who? Glory in the church. Without, without ages. Christ, glory. That's what it's all about. And you go, well, how does Christ get his glory? Well, I could, I could tell you one place you could start. I could get, bring you to a lot of places, but probably the best one that I can think of off my head right now is, well, go read John 15, 1 through 8, and then you'll understand. You'll understand what the purpose is. How does, G, how does the Father get glory? By bearing much fruit. What is fruit? What is fruit? Huh? You, what I'm talking about right now is why you need to understand Ephesians 5. What the purpose of a marriage is. How you actually bear fruit. Right? Because isn't it the fruit of the womb? Y'all got that? Right? There's, there's interconnections all over the place. We need to understand how we bear much fruit. It's not having babies. <laughs> okay? That's not what he's talking about. There's a spiritual element to this. Christ does not get glory by us having babies. Y'all, I mean, I hope you get that. No, Christ gets his glory by us doing the work of the Lord where we're winning people to Christ, building them up in their faith, and sending them to do the same thing. And I would highly argue, without any doubt in my mind, absolutely 100%, there is nothing else we should be doing. That is the, that is the life of a Christian. If you are a Christian, that's it. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus lives in you after you get saved, does he not? 
And what did Jesus do when he was here? Did Jesus live for self? What did he do? To show us the example and make no mistake, Jesus is God in the flesh. Make no mistake of that. But what Jesus did is he humbled himself to the will of the Father. And he did what the Father wanted. Even to the point, Philippians 2 says, that he humbled himself to the death of the cross. And the point of all of that, obviously, is salvation. And I get that. But it was a picture, too. It was a picture, too. Get that. That's how God teaches us. It was, it was salvation. Not arguing with that at all. But it was a picture. You say, what do you mean it was a picture? What are you, what are you talking about? That's what Romans 6 is all about. That's what I've been talking about this morning. It's what it's all about. It's all about, hey, Galatians 2.20, I, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Did you go to the cross spiritually? Did you? Are you crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, Paul says, I live, but not I. Christ liveth in me. And now... I live for his glory. It's not about me anymore. It's not about my wants. It's not about what I, my opinion. It's all for him. And I'll tell you, man, if you looked at the life of Paul, Paul was a great example of someone who had it all and gave it all up to know, to know the power of his resurrection, to know him. Listen, I'm not challenging your salvation. I don't know where you are. I'm not challenging. What I'm challenging is, okay, what are you doing for him? What are you doing for him? And are you living the life that you should be living if you are truly his? That's, all, that's a question we probably all need to answer. Because if we're not, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, letter F. Redemption. Here refers to our being delivered from corruption. You are sealed until the time of redemption of the purchase comes. And again, uh, uh, listen, this is the importance uh, of understanding eternal security and it's also the importance of understanding the three tenses of salvation that are talked about by, by Paul. You know, three tenses of salvation. What the heck are you talking about? Watch. Hang with me and I'll show you. Look at uh, uh, The importance of understanding uh, this is that of understanding the doctrine of eternal security. If you could do nothing to get in, what can you do to get out? Yes, once you get in, there is a calling. Matter of fact, Paul calls it the high calling on your life that will bring about consequences for not being faithful, hence the 1 Corinthians 4 passage. However, the penalty for not being faithful is not losing your salvation, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, 16, somewhere in that area. Rather, it's losing your rewards and part of your inheritance. 
Because there is part of your inheritance that wasn't your inheritance. It was Christ's inheritance, and you can't lose that. But there is also a part of your inheritance you can lose. I would think that's vital information. <laughs> I would think that's important information. I would think that's information we need to understand and know. Because you know what? It's appointed on the man who wants to die. And after this, the judgment. And you know what? Whether you believe it or not, whether you want to or not, whether it's your prerogative or not, I, fill in the blanks, however you want to do it, we are all going to a judgment. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be judged. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Your sins won't be judged. I agree with that. But you're going to be judged from the day you got saved and the day you're standing before him in judgment, you're going to be judged for what you did. And here's the catch. For what you did, not in your body. You want to know why? Because it's not your own anymore. Isn't that what he says in 1 Corinthians 6? Right? 1 Corinthians 6? Okay. It's not your body. If you're saved, it's not yours anymore. Your vessel, 1 Thessalonians 4, is not yours anymore. You know whose vessel it is now? His. And you want to know what you're going to be judged based on? What you did in his body. And if that doesn't perk your ears and go, I don't know that I've ever heard that before, but I'm just telling you with all that I got in me, that is so Bible, I can't even explain it. I can't explain it. It would just take me longer than the four minutes I have left. Listen, this is important stuff, okay? Uh, earnest. Uh, we have an earnest of our inheritance, letter G, on top of page 40. Uh, what does that word earnest mean? It means ardent, in the pursuit of an object, eager to obtain, having a longing desire, warmly engaged or incited. In other words, we are earnestly going after that thing, or the Holy Ghost is earnestly going after it in you. The Holy Spirit is God's first installment to guarantee to his children that he will finish his work and eventually bring them to glory. The redemption of the purchased possession, however, does not happen the day of your salvation. Hence the reason why it's, it's earnest. It's going to come later, right? The day you were saved, were, were, did you have the redemption of your body? Did you all of a sudden become no longer having to battle with the sin? Well, no, you, still, you want to know why? Because this isn't, this isn't your body that you're going to end up with. And that's why you need to understand. Redemption is going to be experienced in three stages. If you understand that redemption is going to be experienced in three stages, you'll stop teaching. not saying any of you do. I'm just saying that people do. You'll stop, you'll stop teaching that you can lose your salvation because you'll understand what three stages of redemption is really all about. Justification, which is right there. We have been redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Justification is what happened the day you got saved. And you did nothing to get that. You were justified by his blood. You got that? That's where you got your justification from. But then what happens is, now the Holy Spirit moves inside of you, and you are being redeemed as the Spirit works in your life to make you more like Christ. Romans 8, 1 through 4. If you don't believe me, just go read it. 
That's what the whole point of Romans chapter 8 is, is to explain what I'm talking about right now. Okay? And then, of course, that is, that's called sanctification. And sanctification is not the work that the Lord does in you automatically. He doesn't just do it automatically. No. Sanctification becomes a work that he can do in you because you're yielding to him. Most Christians that I have met, I'm just being straight because that's I'm a straight shooter. Listen, most Christians that I have met, they never get past the, 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 the justification phase. That's where they stay the rest of their lives. And the way I would see that is and the way I would correlate that is, is they're just walking in the wilderness. Just walking around aimlessly. For how long? How long were they in the wilderness for? 40 years. So God, God's patient. He'll, how long you want to walk for? What should have taken them 11 days took them 40 years because they were too busy murmuring. They were too busy arguing. I think you just talked about that this morning. They were too busy, they were too busy going against what God actually said and they just had to come up with all these other reasons why they could. How about you just listen to what the Lord says and let's go. Let's get to where he wants us. He wants us in the promised land. And by the way, the promised land is not heaven. The promised land is where the milk's flowing. The fruit is being gathered. We're doing something. Now we're doing something, man. John chapter 15. All right, I need to finish here. Man, I really want to talk about 1 Corinthians 3. I had y'all go there. Okay, let's do this. Let's just finish. Let's finish. And then uh, in a couple of weeks, if I need to go back there, I will. Uh, what I would highly do at this point is tell you, though, uh, 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 go to 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 23, because what you want to do is you want to think of that word earnest as an engagement ring. It's kind of what it is, kind of like an engagement ring. Okay, in Greece today, you would find this word being used that way. But after all, isn't it an engagement ring an insurance, a guarantee that the promises made will be kept? He is the bridegroom and his church is the bride. We know that he will come and claim his bride because he has given us his promise and his spirit as the engagement ring. What greater insurance could we want? Now, with all that being said, that's what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, another angle of what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 3. Okay, let's finish up here. Review. Number one, true riches come from Christ. We're reviewing what we've uh, uh, seen so far in these first 13 verses. True riches come from Christ. It is a source of great encouragement to know that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all working on my behalf to make me rich in Him. And not rich in your wallet. Okay? That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about richness of Him, which is far better than gold and silver and all that. Okay? Okay. Uh, number two, all of these riches come by God's grace and for his glory. I can't emphasize that enough. That's where they come from. Number three, these riches are only the beginning. He has something far, far, far more better in glory than anything we will ever experience on this earth. So let's finish this up. Ready? I'm going to go fast. Before the world began, God had promised and chose us in him. Not chose, not what? Not chose 
you. He chose us. And the us and the we are what? The church. That's what he chose. Okay? Christ redeemed us, accomplishing that plan. Because who was it that was slain before the foundation of the world? Christ was. Then the Spirit revealed to us the plan. When did the Spirit reveal to us that plan? Anybody? Paul. He revealed it to Paul. It's the mystery of the dispensation of grace that Paul's revealing. I want you to take note. When did Paul, in the book of Acts, become a Christian? If you don't know, the answer is chapter 9. And I'm just asking, if the plan wasn't revealed until then, what was going on between chapters 1 through 8? You better scratch your head on that one and go, huh? Whoa, whoa, what are you, what are you saying here? What happens when you trust it? You are adopted into God's family, made a child of God. Christ abounds to us the knowledge about God's will. That's one of the blessings that we get, right? The Holy Spirit seals us into his body, gives us assurance that we are secure in him. Now that we have this position, we are accepted by God in Christ. Okay? Now that you are accepted, you have an inheritance. And until the day of redemption, you have the Holy Spirit in you to guide you and direct you. And let me just tell you, he does not guide you and direct you based on... Holy oh, Spirit, talk to me right now. That's not... You want to know how he guides and directs you? That's how he does it. The question is, what are you going to do, as Paul calls it, the, with this unspeakable gift that you have been given? Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Whew. Okay, I'm only four minutes past. All right, listen, uh, it, it, I know we got some visitors here this morning, and, and this was a tough one. <laughs> I'm just telling you right from the get-go, this was a tough one, because if you didn't or you haven't been around this church, we talked about some stuff that I understand you probably would need and want a more, exp more explanation to. We as a church, we've talked about all these things leading up to it uh, many, many times before, and I just don't have the time, uh, unfortunately, this morning to get into the explanation of it all. But, but what I would highly encourage you to do is don't, don't just go, that church is nuts. That church is crazy. Don't do that, because I promise you, there's biblical explanation to everything I just said. And if there is biblical explanation to what I just said, then there, that would make this kind of important that we make sure we understand it. Uh, now, if, if there's not biblical explanation of what I just said, I wouldn't tell you not to come back. I would tell everybody in the whole church not to come back, because I'm a false teacher. Okay? And if I'm a false teacher, get the heck out of here. Don't ever come back. But I'm, I, I'm just, with all that I have in me, I'm just, I'm hoping and praying that you would go, all right, all right, let's, let's see if this guy's got something here. Because I don't have anything. It's all in the book, man. Okay? Tough, tough message this morning. I knew it was going to be going in. I'm even surprised that we got done with the chapter. We got done with it, to be honest with you. But um, 
Okay. Um, we're getting ready for VBS, our last day. Next week, Robert's going to preach, so you don't have to worry about me next week. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Robert can bring it too now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, he might bring the hammer down even more than me. Uh, but um, so please come back for that. Please pray for Lori. Please, please do, and Gary, and that whole situation. Um, and and uh, I, I do feel like there's one other thing, but uh, okay. All right, let's, uh, who would like to close us in prayer? My, my, my throat hurts. Okay, good. Don't everybody stand up all at once. Don't everybody jump. I heard something. Claude. All right, let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for waking up this morning. Give us your uh, provision protection. I want to thank you, Lord, that we have a church and pastors who truly uh, desire and do preach your word unapologetically. Thank you for your spirit. I want to thank you, God, that uh, no matter what happens today, it's well with our souls. And I pray that we will spend the rest of this day bringing you honor and glory, Father. I pray in your name. Amen.